0: I really appreciate this many people turning out, <laughs> praise God. At school, this is second hour, so we've already done an hour, but uh, hallelujah. Welcome to Colorado Springs, welcome to the Summer Family Bible Conference. I know this week is going to be a real blessing uh, for all of us, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I know most of you are too, so it's, it's going to be great. And As I stand up here, this, this moment for me is significant for two reasons. Uh, the first one is not spiritual. I, uh, on December 28th, this past December 28th, my wife and I, Betty Kay, down here in the front row, we were sitting back there in the middle, and where I'm standing right now were the Beach Boys. So just give me a moment here, give me a moment. People think I don't know how to have fun. <laughs> Praise God. So, but the uh, second reason this is significant is that every year when this rolls around, this is the anniversary of when we rolled into town six years ago now, uh, on a on a word from God uh, to come up and join ourselves with this ministry, and it's just it's amazing to see. And I can say, first of all, thank you, Andrew. But uh, this, these have been the best six years of our lives. Uh, what has happened here is just unbelievable. Uh, but it's just God's grace, God's goodness. Uh, wonderful things have taken place in our lives since we've gotten here. So this is always uh, an anniversary of sorts for me. Just to remember, man, look where God has brought me. This is un- unbelievable. This is, this is great. And I was thinking, you know, this was not on my radar 10 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure when I first started hearing about Andrew and listening to Andrew. It may have been 2003, somewhere in there. But being here in Colorado, this was not on my radar. I was heavily involved in Spanish ministry. I was teaching, uh, had my own Spanish Bible school in a, in a church, uh, and was not thinking about anything else. And many times things happen in our lives that we aren't really thinking about, and yet God has a purpose, God has a plan Circumstances, many times, are not what you think they're going to be. And I'm so glad that I was able to hear God and get up here and, and have these doors opened for me and not uh, be set in what I thought I was supposed to be doing. I was thinking that about Andrew as well. And you know, I'm thinking back how, you know, I could, I could say our lives have come together at CBC and at AWMI. But what would have happened... If March 23rd, 1968 hadn't happened to Andrew, how many of our lives would be different if we hadn't had that, if Andrew hadn't had that experience with God, which then has gone on to touch many lives around the world, it's touched my life, here we are, many things happen from one experience. One person's experience can affect, over the years, thousands and thousands of people, You know, and I was thinking, what if he didn't have that experience? But what if he decided to go into ministry anyway, without the knowledge of the grace of God? And what if he decided to go ahead and write some books? How would the titles have been different? (laughs) Living in the Balance of Works and Law. (laughs) A Longer Way to Pray. It, w- it would have been different. You've already blown it. <laughs> Am I close? I mean, that, anyway. you know, and as he probably at that point when he wrote that one, he's getting discouraged, and so his last book would be Harnessing Your Horses. <laughs> and that would be it. You know, he's done. But things change. People change. And God changes us. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to, to tell the whole story behind this book, but uh, it all started in 1997. <laughs> uh, actually, let me, let me just share a little bit real quickly. It start, this did, in fact, start in 1997 when uh, Princess Diana was killed in a car accident. And I saw a famous man of God interviewed on TV, and he was asked, if God is love, why, does, why do bad things happen? Why didn't God stop this tragedy? And I thought, praise God, here's an opportunity for this man of God to reach millions of people with a tremendous answer of of who God really is. And he blew it. And if I named his name, everybody knows him. And I don't have anything against the fellow, but uh, it was unfortunate that he couldn't answer that most basic question, why do bad things happen? Does God cause tragedies? I was so incensed at that point that I decided to start devoting myself quite a bit to answering people's questions. So I wrote a couple of pamphlets in Spanish while I was still in Chile. And then when we moved up here and finally we got to Colorado, I was working in the phone center and began to work in the question answering department, answering all of the emails and letters that would come in, all of the doctrinal questions, all of the complaints, and anything that would come in, I would answer those. And so I began to understand how people think and what their questions are and realized they're not getting their questions answered in their churches or from other places. And so I spent some time uh, culling culling through all of the different answers I had and I picked, I think I have 28 of some of the most common questions that people have. And I've made those into a book Uh, and Gary Lukey was the the inspiration behind this and he wanted this to, to happen. And so we've put these together in a book. And it's called, Did God Do This to Me? And it's, that, of course, has to do with the sovereignty and the tragedy issue. But there are many other kinds of questions in the book. So it's an interesting resource. You might find it helpful. Uh, we do have it in the back at the table next to the CBC t-shirts. So if you're interested in that, did God do this to me? And maybe we'll give this to somebody. So if you really want that, raise your hand. All right. (laughs) (coughs) Praise God. So I want to get into the word with you this morning. And uh, what I did to save time, as many of you know, I like to use the scriptures. And so I have quite a few. So what I did, I printed them out. I do have my Bible up here. But uh, to save time, I may not be uh, flipping through my Bible quite so much so that I can just read some things to you. But um, several months ago, it's probably been about three months ago, I came across a scripture, and I'm going to read it to you. It's in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10 says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. The 10th verse jumped out at me. He says he has delivered us, he does deliver us, and he will deliver us. And for some reason, I just, I got stuck there and the Holy Spirit began to reveal something to me about the dimensions of Redemption. People have been asking me, Barry, what are you going to teach on? And my quick, flippant answer is, I'm going to talk to you about time travel. That's something Andrew never talks about, so I thought I would go there. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you about time travel, but in the context of the dimensions of redemption. And as as I thought about this, Paul is saying... God has delivered me, he is present tense delivering me, and he will, I am confident, he will deliver me. And I began to think of verses, all of a sudden verses began to come to my spirit, come to my heart, of different kinds of, of uh, issues that we, topics of salvation that we think of, and I could think of past tense verses, and I could think, think of present tense verses, and I could think of future tense verses. And I began to go through those and compile some, and at the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit, I mean, my wife, I was, <laughs> I, uh, I won't read them all, but uh, I will read some to you. And just to kind of get you going with me in the, same, in the same direction here. So listen to this. We're gonna, I want to talk first about redemption. It says in Ephesians 1, 7, and if, if the, the, flat, the verse flashers can't get them up fast enough, uh, just jot down these, these notes. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace praise God we have redemption that's a past present kind of tense right there but redemption future let's look at Ephesians four thirty. and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption so we have redemption but there is a day of redemption Are some of you starting to get where I'm going here that there is a past tense there's a present tense there's a future tense and there are different dimensions to the to the redemption that we live in talk about sanctification 1st Corinthians six eleven, and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were sanctified how many say amen You were washed, you were sanctified. That's a past tense. But let's look at sanctification present. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 and verse 3 says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For this is your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And it goes on. In other words, there's a present ongoing sanctification now, I'm going to challenge you a little bit in the first part of this message, but hang with me. There's a happy ending, all right? But I just I want, to put, I want to set the table here about the past, the present, and the future of what we are living in Christ. So he says, we were washed, we were sanctified. And now he says, this is your sanctification that you abstain from something. There's an ongoing sanctification. Then we get to sanctification future. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This is a prayer concerning their future. May he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking ahead. We were sanctified. This is our sanctification. He prays that we would be sanctified or preserved completely at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dimensions in our redemption. Let's talk about salvation. Salvation past, even when you were dead, Ephesians 2, 5, in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ by grace, you are saved. He quickened past tense, salvation past tense, that dimension, salvation present, Philippians 2.12 Wherefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation present. You mean I'm not saved? No, I'm not saying that. I'm wanting you to understand the dimensions and we're going to get to the happy ending here in a little bit. What this all means. But we need to be cognizant. We need to be aware of things past having an impact on things present and on things future salvation future Romans 13:11 and do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep it's now high time to awake out of sleep present for now our salvation is nearer future than when we first believed past see that we are saved We are being saved. There is a day coming in which we shall be saved. This is where I'm getting this idea of time travel, so to speak. That we are living in a redemption that transcends time and that has a past, present, and future dynamic to it. In a sense, we could say that. (laughs) What did I say? Thank you. <laughs> and I hear a phone. <laughs> All right. In, in this sense, to the degree that we can get a revelation of what took place in the past on the cross, and when Jesus rose from the dead, and what took place when he sat down at the right hand of God, to the degree that you have that revelation, you then can apply that to your present and you can seize your future. See, you were created to reign in life now in the present. But you can't reign in life now if you don't have a revelation of the past. If you can't go to Jesus and see Jesus hanging on that cross, if you can't see your problem in him, you're going to have a hard time reigning now over your problem. Wasn't your sickness nailed to that cross? Wasn't your sin nailed to that cross? Wasn't your guilt nailed to that cross? How about your depression, your anxiety, your fear? Wasn't that nailed to the cross? Can you see that? Can you go back in time and see that in your spirit? And then can you see him raised from the dead? Can you see him seated with with God by the Father in heavenly places? And can you see him interceding for you right now? See, the past is going to impact the present. You can't reign in the present if you don't have a, a grasp on what happened in the past. You were sanctified, but you're being sanctified. And I pray you will be sanctified. You were saved. You are working out your salvation based on the revelation of what you have seen in the past. And you, there is a coming day of salvation in which you will be saved. And some of you might be scratching your heads. "What? I don't understand. I, don't, I, I can't grasp this. Now, well, let's look at it a little bit more. Some people, some people tend to camp out on a certain tense, a verse, a tense of verb. You have the group that hangs out in the past tense. And I'm not, in, in, in describing this, please hear my heart, I'm not putting any of this down. What I'm trying to do is get some of you that may be one-dimensional Christians to be three-dimensional Christians. You can't just live in one dimension of redemption. And some people live in one dimension. There are the, those who live on the past tense verses. This has already happened. Amen. It has already happened. Praise God. But how does that impact, impact your present tense? So you have others that now are living only on present tense verses. These are people that are works-oriented, legalists. If I don't do it, I don't get saved. I've got to do it, got to do it, got to work out my salvation in fear and trembling, got to do it. Totally ignorant of the past tense verses. And then you've got other people that are completely future-oriented, who knows who's saved? I mean, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do, and those are your fatalists. You have your fatalist, you have your legalists. you have your what I would call passivists not passive in the sense of war, but passive in the sense of lazy. <laughs> they camp out on their, in their favorite dimension, and they don't include the whole in their understanding of what God's call on their life is. It's not just past tense, folks. Yes, you've already got it. What are you doing with it? And if you've got it, where is it? All right? I mean, let's be honest. Let's ask ourselves some questions here. If you've already got it, where is it? Why don't you have it? See, I've got it. I've got that revelation. Now I need to apply that to my present. And I need to see that. Now, how does that happen? I want to show you this. I'm going to read some more. Let's go to Genesis 12. Oh, I didn't talk to you about righteousness. Let me talk to you about righteousness real quick. You can go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. But righteousness... Uh, first corinthians 1 30 but of him you are in christ jesus who of god has made unto us wisdom and righteousness all right righteousness past he has been made unto us righteousness we know we're the righteousness of god in christ righteousness present ephesians four twenty four, that you put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness there you go present tense you do it you put it on this new man but i thought i was already made righteous yes But there are dimensions to this. What has been needs to be applied to your life. Put on the new man. Let's look at righteousness future. Galatians 5, 5. For we through the hope, or excuse me, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Ah. So there is a future righteousness. There is a present righteousness putting on of the new man. There is a past righteousness. I've been made righteous. Now, I don't know about you, but this this is taking me some time to get my mind wrapped around. These different dimensions, what does this mean? I don't want to be one-dimensional. I want to understand, if I have to do some time travel, I'm going to do it, but I want to understand how this impacts my life in the here and now. The hope, it says, the hope of righteousness by faith. And that's where it jumped out at me, and I got it. This is about faith. This is about faith. We travel to the past and to the present and we see the future by faith now go with me to genesis 12 says now the lord said to abram get thee out of thy country from thy kindred from thy father's house unto a land that i will show thee and i will make of thee a great nation and i will bless thee and make thy name great and you shall be a blessing and i will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed this is the promise of god over abraham now bear with me I told you I'm going to challenge you a little bit this morning is that a word from God yes. can you take that to the bank that yes. God said I am going to bless you I am going to make your name great in verse 7 in the same chapter Genesis 12 7 the Lord appeared unto Abram and he said unto thee unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him I call this the promise acknowledged. He didn't understand it, but he acknowledged it. He built an altar. A lot of us sometimes see a promise, and we build an altar to the promise, and that's as far as we go with it. We worship the promise. We quote the promise. But we don't know how to bring the promise into our reality. But the promise has been acknowledged. Now we'll go a few chapters further to Genesis uh, 15. Genesis 15 5 and it says and he brought him forth abroad and said look now toward the heaven and tell the stars so God now is giving Abraham a visual he says tell the stars if you be able to number them and he said unto him so shall thy seed be now this is the the second time he's telling him that he's going to multiply why does he have to repeat it Abraham had already acknowledged the promise and built an altar but he takes him out and he shows him the stars. He gives him something to see. Every night, whenever Abraham doubts, he can walk outside of his tent and look up and be reminded of God's promise. And he says, someday my seed is going to be like the stars of heaven. He says, until I seed will I give this land and there, excuse me, um, next verse, uh, Genesis 15, five, if you be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be, verse six, and he believed in the Lord, key, He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Something took place here. That which was acknowledged now has been believed. And the promise has been activated. Promise acknowledged. By faith, promise activated. Now, this is the part where some of you are going to maybe jump ship, but hold on. Go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Verse 15, Abraham is called to take his son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him. And it says in Genesis twenty-two fifteen, 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time, and he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars. Folks, this is the third time he's saying this. I thought you could take it to the bank the first time. He's saying this again, verse 17, I will multiply you as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now listen to this, because you have obeyed my voice. Promise consummated. Promise acknowledged. Promise activated by faith. Promise consummated by action. Dimensions. He had a word from God. But then he believed the word. And then he acted on the word. He moved in dimensions. See, you can't be one-dimensional in the kingdom of God. You've got to understand that your righteousness is a fact. It's also a present. It's also a future. Your salvation is a past. It's also a present. It's also a future. Your sanctification is is past, but it's also present, and it's also future. All of these things move through time and dimension, and we can't just camp out in the dimension that we like. We need to be aware of who we are in Christ and what is the fact that acknowledging the promise is one thing. Activating the promise is another thing, but consummating the promise is the other thing that we need to to understand. I'm going to give you some more examples here in a few minutes, but let's look at this in the new covenant. Go with me to Ephesians one, verse three, Ephesians one, three says, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. How many say amen? Amen. Everybody recognize the tense past tense. How many of you believe it? Amen. How many of you have some lack in your life? Okay. I see some hands. Well, wait a minute, I thought we were blessed. All right? You see what I'm, where I'm going with this? Let's go to Galatians 3 9. Galatians 3 9. So then they which be of faith, there's the faith key, activate, are blessed, present tense, with faithful Abraham. God took Abraham outside, showed him the stars said, so shall your seed be. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Those that be of faith are blessed. You have been blessed, but those that be of faith are blessed. You getting this? Yes. Let's go to James one twenty five. James one twenty five says, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Future shall be consummated by action. Now maybe we can understand when James says faith without works is dead. We're talking about dimensions. You acknowledge the promise, but that doesn't get it done. How many of you acknowledge that by his stripes you were healed? All right. Some of you still sick? What's up? Dimensions. You can't just build an altar to the promise, folks. It has to be activated activated by faith and then redeemed by action. You will be blessed in what you do. And this whole thing revolves around faith. The understanding or the capacity to go into the past and get a revelation of Jesus on the cross. Get a revelation of Jesus crucified. Get a revelation of Jesus resurrected, seated at the right hand of God. Get that revelation and then let the past tell you about the present And let the past impact your present that you were created to reign in life right now. And you reign in life right now by understanding what took place in the other dimension. You travel there. You see Jesus. You come back. You see the mountain. And you speak to the mountain. You pray and you receive future. Because you've understood the dimension of the past. Romans 4.21 Says about Abraham and being fully persuaded, present, that what he had promised, past, he was able also to perform, future. There it is. Now, when I was uh, when we were missionaries uh, in Chile back in the nineties, I was a cowboy fan, like all of you. and uh, during that time, we did not have internet, we didn 't have cell phones, we didn 't have all of this stuff we didn 't have Skype, we didn 't have anything. And so I would be aware of the fact through my dad writing me that the cowboys were doing well, and the cowboys made the playoffs, and the cowboys won the playoffs, and the cowboys were going to the Super Bowl. And so I would know when Super Bowl Sunday was, but I couldn 't get in touch with that. I had no way of knowing what 's going on. I, I, there, it wasn 't on TV. I had no internet. There was nothing like that. This, we're talking early 90s, back when the Cowboys were actually a good football team. And so, so what I would do is the next day on Monday, I would know, I knew that the, the Miami papers and other international papers would all be flown in overnight. They're imported, and they would be downtown in the certain kiosks, so the papers would be there. So what I would do is I'd take a bus, and then I'd take a subway, and I'd get downtown, because I had to know who won the Super Bowl. And so I would walk several blocks to get to the, the, the outdoor mall area where all the kiosks are, and I would find the one that had international newspapers, and I couldn't afford to buy them. They were imported. They were too expensive. But I could read the headlines. And I could look at the headline, and it says, Cowboys win Super Bowl. And I would do my happy dance. I won't do that for you right now. I was so thrilled. Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So I would go home, and I would I'd just be blessed. Cowboys won the Super Bowl. This is back when I was really into football, which I got delivered from after 12 years on the mission field. So, and then here's the neat thing. About two weeks later, in the mail, I would get a, a VCR cassette. From my dad. This is back, those of you that are really old remember these (laughs) VCR cassettes, okay? He had filmed the game for me and he would mail it to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not emotional about the Cowboys, it's just that. (laughs) I was thinking about my dad. Yesterday was the anniversary of his passing. So, anyway, he would. He would mail the game to me. And I would put that in the VCR. And you know what my attitude was while I'm watching that game? Absolute euphoria. Absolute peace. Absolute joy. Because I know who wins. I could watch that game in total peace. If they threw an interception, I didn't care. <laughs> if Emmett Smith fumbles the ball, I don't care. Because I know who wins. Because I had gone back in the past, so to speak, I saw the score. So that now when the game is being played out in front of me, if someone were to come by and sit down and watch the game with me and think that it was live... And they say, you're behind by two touchdowns. Aren't you concerned it's the fourth quarter? No. (laughs) I know that we win. And I realized that's what faith is all about. See, faith takes you to other dimensions. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about this. The Spirit reveals things that have been given to us in Christ. And faith will take you to another dimension, And show you what is true, and then you can live in complete peace and complete joy in the present, even if you fumble, because you know you're going to win. You know you're going to win. Now I would watch those games; it it would be thrilling to watch those games, and I had so much, so much joy and so much peace. And I, and as I was thinking about this example. I said, Lord, thank you. This is a great example. I mean, what what better way to explain how faith works is that you know the score. I know the score. I know I win. This is fantastic. And God says, I'm not done yet. I said, no, God, this is a good example. (laughs) He says, no, I'm not finished yet. He said, you know what? And I said, what? He said, you're not just watching the game. You're the quarterback. Oh. I'm the quarterback. And let me tell you about your team. You've got the keys of the kingdom over here. You've got binding and loosing. He's a big guy over here. You've got the blood of Jesus as your running back. Sword of the Spirit's out there on the on wide receiver. You've got the shield of faith over here. You getting this? You have got a team around you, and you have to play the game. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation. It's not like you're trying to get saved, but you got to play the game. You already know the score, but you, and you've got, you, you have the best team possible around you. And you can play the game with complete and total confidence, and even if you fumble, folks, even if you throw an interception, even if you mess up, you already know who wins. Praise God. Praise God. We have any quarterbacks in here? You know, in Romans 5:17, it says that those that have received the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. And what, what grieves my heart is to see so many Christians that are not reigning in life. They're camped out at the altar of the past tense. But they're not living in the present. They're not seizing the future. They're, they're not with their team on the field. They don't know how it's going to turn out. They're not sure. You're called to reign in life, folks. Now, I told you this was going to have a happy ending. Let's talk about grace. Let's go to grace past. Romans 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified. What tense is that? Past tense. By his grace. I'm going to read several here in the past, present, and future. Ephesians 2:8 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Titus 3:7 that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's talk about the present. Is grace over? Has grace finished its work? Let's go to Acts 4:33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Present tense grace. Romans 5, 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, present tense, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Present tense grace, even when you throw an interception, folks, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Present grace. It's not all just past. Second Peter 1:2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Did you know grace can be multiplied unto you? It's not done, it's not over. Grace can be multiplied unto you. Second Peter one two. No, excuse me. Second Peter three eighteen. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These are present tense applications of grace. There's more grace for you. Did you know that? Let's talk about future grace. Acts fifteen eleven. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. We believe we shall be saved by grace. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He's able to make all grace abound to you. Now the context there is in giving and what have you, but, the, but the, this is so interesting. He is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, having the best football team ever, may abound to every touchdown. <laughs> Grace can abound to you. Look at this one, 1 Peter 1:13. 1, 1 Peter 1:13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. I'm not really sure how to do that. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is even more still to come. In grace. Now, what, is all, what, what does this all mean? When we're talking about dimensions or we're talking about time travel, we see there are past tense realities. We were sanctified, we were justified, we are in Christ, we were saved, we were redeemed, we were quickened. We have these past tense realities. But those past tense realities have a present tense purpose. And that present tense purpose is that you would manifest, that you would play the game, that you would put on the helmet and put on the shoulder pads, play the game and reign in life now because you already know the score. You already know you win. You already know that disease has to bow the name to Jesus. But you have to enforce that. And then you know there's great grace that can be upon you, that grace can be multiplied unto you, that you can grow in grace. And there's even grace that's to be revealed when Jesus comes, even there's more grace. And you take all of this, you don't become passive at the altar. You don't become legalistic in the present. And you don't become fatalistic about the future. You live in all three dimensions of the grace of God. There's enough grace for you right now. For whatever mountain you're facing, whatever circumstance you're facing, there is enough grace for you right now. If you understand dimensions. If you understand how to time travel. Now let's think of, let me think of a few, I'm going to close with a few examples here. Think about Elijah. Now I teach this in second year when I teach on prayer. Because it's, an, it's a New Testament example. Elijah is given to us in James 5 As a New Testament example of a man of prayer The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much think of, Consider Elijah Who prayed that it wouldn't rain It didn't rain, he prayed again, it would rain, it rained So you go back and in 1 Kings You start studying Elijah And I'll jump, jump ahead in some of the story here God tells Elijah to go tell Ahab After three years of drought It's going to rain Is that a good word from God? You think it's going to rain? God said it's going to rain So Elijah goes and tells Ahab it's going to rain. Now, what does Elijah do? They have their little tiff. The whole thing with the fire falling from heaven, burning up the altar, then the killing of the... It was a long day. He killed all the prophets, you know. (laughs) And then he goes back to Ahab again and he says, it's about to rain. And then it says Elijah went to Starbucks because he had a word from God and so that's all he needed to do now if you're familiar with the story they didn't have Starbucks back then he went to the top of the mountain and what did he do he prayed we could say seven times or he sent his servant seven times to look he prayed and if forgive me here but he gave birth to the word of God until he saw the cloud the size of a man's hand see he already had a word from God he spoke the word from God he acted on it. he did what God told him to do then he spoke the word of God again the second time to Ahab it's about to rain gird up your loins and then he went up on the mountain I would have thought well the word of God should be enough right isn't that good enough you got a promise but he went up on the mountain and conceived that word see he was living in dimensions just because he had a word didn't mean necessarily it was going to come to pass. Uh Uh-oh. How many of you believe 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed? And yet, some of you are here to get healed. Are you tracking with me here? Barry, are you saying I have to do something? Perhaps. Perhaps. You need to hear from God. What did Jesus tell the paralytic? Lowered him down through the roof. Son, your sins are forgiven. Past tense. I have authority on earth to forgive sin. Now you take up your pallet and go home. Matthew 9, 29, speaking to the blind guys. Be it unto you according to your faith. Faith activates the promise. It says in James 5 that we are to pray one for another that we might be healed. Prayer of faith shall future tense, raise them up. Lay hands on the sick, future tense, and they shall recover. There are dimensions to all of these things. That which is true must be believed and must be applied. Think about Jesus crossing the lake with the disciples. They get in the boat, he says, let's go to the other side. So in Jesus' mind, that's all he had to say. They're going to the other side. With a boat, without a boat, it doesn't matter They're going to the other side. So he goes to sleep. He's seen the video. He knows the score. This is a yawner. I can sleep through this one. Halfway through, what happens to the disciples? They are freaking out because they don't have the same revelation of let's go to the other side that Jesus did. And so they're watching the circumstances. They wake up Jesus. This is their thought about the whole thing. We perish do something they wake up Jesus he gets up he rebukes the wind and the waves then he rebukes them because he expected them to be playing the game they're the quarterback oh ye of little faith why didn't you do this you could have rebuked this but it requires something from you I said we're going to the other side but that should be enough for you to realize wind and the waves can't stop us so you have the authority to stop the wind and the waves See, when you're dealing with something in your body, folks, just because you have a promise, that's, that's the seed. But you've got to believe the promise, and sometimes you've got to act on that promise, and you've got to proclaim that promise, and you've got to act as if that promise is yours. You have to seize the future. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises, dimensions. We see the truth of the past, we apply it by faith in the present, we seize the future. And there's enough grace for you. There's enough grace for you. Turn to the guy next, the person next to you and say, whatever you're facing, there's enough grace for you. Praise God. God. Is anybody getting anything out of this? just finish up with this real quick Ephesians three, twenty, says something we'll flash it up God is able to do exceeding abundantly right above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us you're the quarterback you already know the score but you got to play the game 2 Corinthians one twenty. All of the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God by us. By us. You're the quarterback, but you already know the score. Praise God. I can tell you the score, folks. You win. You win. That is supposed to motivate you to put your helmet on and get in the game and reign in life and speak to the mountain and believe and receive and dominate the circumstances. That should be the motivation because you already know you win. And you may fumble along the way and you may throw an interception. It doesn't matter. There's enough grace for the interception. Praise God. Grace is past. Grace is present. Grace is future. Amen. All right. Thank you.